and welcome to Stripe News Global. I am Subrat Nanda and joining me from the UK is Ravi Gupta, Professor of Clinical Microbiology at the University of Cambridge to talk about COVID-19. Professor Gupta, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Currently, we in India are going through a surge in COVID-19 cases. Why has it become more infectious and deadlier? Uh, well, there's there are a number of possibilities um, for why we're seeing the large number of cases in in India. One is, of course, the relaxation of many of the measures that we saw last year and uh, large gatherings which have been taking place and economic activity resuming. Um, and of course, we do have the contribution of uh, new variants. Um, for example, there is the UK variant, B117, which is being seen in the north of the country. And of course, the um, the new uh, variant which det detected in India and Maharashtra, B617, and uh, uh, which has a number of mutations in the virus. And so we think that there may be some degree of the virus adapting to our immune responses and able to infect people who have been infected before, potentially and also maybe more transmissible because of certain other mutations. You just talked about different strains of the virus. We even have one first seen in Brazil, South Africa, etc. How is one different from the other? And which is the most dangerous one? Uh, we don't know about uh, how dangerous uh, these variants are. It's difficult to, to say. Even uh, there is no evidence for any of the variants being more deadly than the original strain. And that's partly because we think that the deadliness or the danger is due to the immune responses partly, which is due to the individual person rather than the virus. But the mutations do potentially allow the virus to evade our immune responses. That's the important thing because as time has gone on, more and more people have been infected, they have some immunity, and more and more people have been vaccinated and therefore they have some immunity because of the vaccine. And viruses which can escape this or avoid this are going to be more successful as time goes forward. And I think that's what we're seeing emerging in India now. The two viruses which are dominating are viruses which are highly evolved. In the work that we published in Nature earlier this year, we demonstrated how such variants evolve in patients. For example, those with chronic infection uh, and who cannot clear the virus, they're able to develop viruses which mutate heavily in the face of immune pressure. Why do viral infections appear in phases or what are called waves? Is there a limit to their number? Or can these go on and on? Well, uh, what is a wave? Well, a wave is essentially a um, is like a, is a peak in infections or a, an increase in infections, uh, which is the result of uh, virus transmission with a highly infectious virus like SARS-CoV-2. You get emergence of big chains of transmission uh, unless there are measures taken place such as vaccination or social distancing. And if you get a large clusters of transmissions, you end up with a wave eventually in a country. So these will continue, but the size of the waves will depend on the level of immunity in the community and the amount of evolution that the virus is able to undergo. Uh, for example, in influenza, we see yearly waves and we try to predict what's in the wave and we try to make vaccines which are specially engineered to deal with those waves. And we may be in a situ situation like this. Is the current crop of vaccines good enough for the various strains that have surfaced? different vaccines have different levels of efficacy. So does it mean one is better than the other? There probably are differences between the vaccines, but we don't know enough about each vaccine. For example, how long does the protection last? We have some information on how much protection you get from disease, but this is over a short period of time. So 
some vaccines may be better at long-term protection. We don't know. And so some va- there is obviously a big difference in the way vaccines are made and different platforms such as mRNA technology or adenovirus. And this may play into the efficacy longer term. In the short term, we are using va- vaccines which are based on the original Wuhan strain. And of course, the virus has diverged uh, significantly since then. It's very different. And so I do believe that next, the next group of vaccines should be modified in order to keep up with this virus, um, because I think that we need to do this until we know that we are safe. Uh, we can see already we are having problems with new variants um, and reinfections emerging, vaccine failures are happening. So I think we need to be very cautious. The kind of focus there's been on vaccines, why hasn't the same attention been given to medication? Wouldn't it help if there was specific treatment? Well, that would be good. The problem with waiting until infection and then treating is that you know, 90% of people uh, do recover without serious complications. So you have to treat a lot of people to see the benefit. And those trials are difficult to do. Of course, there were trials such as Solidarity and the recovery trial in the UK. But at the time, we did not have very good antiviral drugs to test. It's because society in general had not invested enough money into developing antiviral drugs. So we did not have enough drugs and now we are also trying to repurpose other drugs, such as ivermectin or people tried before hydroxychloroquine and things like that. So I think we should have had more investment and we would have more drugs to try. It's been more than a decade and a half since the SARS outbreak, yet a vaccine remains elusive. How long could it take before we get a preventive vaccine for COVID-19? Well, we have the vaccines. We have them now. Those are the vaccines we're using. So no, I don't think that's a good example. We, we have good vaccines. We don't have good treatments. But the vaccines right now, they don't focus on preventing the disease. It's much more likely that people who get the vaccines don't get the serious or the moderate form of the disease. But these are not preventive in nature, are they? Well, they do prevent infection in many people. But yeah, some people do get infected despite the vaccine. That's true because this infection gets into your nose and it starts making new copies very quickly. But it's not going to be possible that, that easy to stop make a vaccine that stops all infection. We may end up with inhaled vaccines, which may be more effective. We may use different sort of strategies for boosting the responses. But I think our vaccines are pretty good uh, at preventing severe disease right now. There have been virtually no deaths in vaccinated people in the trials. So uh, I think that we've made good strides. What we don't have is good treatment. You've seen cases of people staying indoors, having no contact with the outside world, yet getting infected. Is it advisable to mask up even at home? Um, masking up at home, I'm not sure that how effective that will be because, of course, you know, there are going to be times when you're not wearing a mask and there will be aerosols. This is an aerosol spread virus. So, so, I, think that, uh, uh, so I think masking at home is not particularly going to be helpful. You've done a lot of research on HIV and AIDS. Can some of these apply to COVID as well? Are you working on something? Yes, we are. We have been working on COVID since last year. Uh, we we developed rapid diagnostic tests such as a uh, type of PCR for use in hospitals. Uh, that's initially. Then we, uh, my group, actually discovered the B117 variant in the UK because we were looking for certain mutations. So we actually isolated. Uh, we observed this cluster of infections in the UK first, and we reported it on bioarchives and on Twitter. Uh, and up the paper is in in review right now. So. We did that, so uh, we, we, we were able to identify B117. But we also uh, described the probably the most famous case of chronic infection and described how variants arise. And these were this was a paper in Nature. We then did a study on vaccination and uh, with Pfizer vaccine and the 
protection against different strains, for example, the B117 and uh, the B117, which uh, in addition to the E484K mutation. So we showed that the vaccine responses were very good, but B117 was less sensitive by a little bit. And if you add E484K, which is a mutation in the receptor binding domain, then we get a more significant loss of vaccine antibody uh, efficacy. So that was a second paper in Nature earlier this year. So we are working a lot on, uh, quite heavily on COVID-19. We are now making uh, the Indian variant uh, in the laboratory to be tested against uh, antibodies in, in patients. How different is this virus from the HIV? It, is, it has many differences, but many similarities. So it has, uh, for example, this enveloped protein on the, on the surface, the spike protein, is made up of a trimer, which is three pieces joined together. And that's the same in HIV. Uh, it uses a fusion mechanism to enter cells, uh, both at the surface and inside the cell, which is similar to HIV. And uh, it is an RNA virus like HIV. It makes make mistakes when it copies its genetic material, just like HIV does. And we have learned that SARS is not like influenza, which causes a short infection. SARS is more like HIV in that it can cause long-term infections because it is able to uh, infect many different cell types, not just in the lungs, but also in other areas of the body. And this allows it to keep infecting you for a long period and to acquire mutations. And this is what we learned in HIV. And so we used all of our knowledge in HIV to apply this to SARS coronavirus 2 or COVID-19. And so we've had some very good successes in our scientific work uh, so far. So is the virus here to stay? Yes, I think so. For the for the next few years, at least, this is going to. There's no. This virus will be here to stay. When do you see the cases in India peaking? We have various mathematical models that give various projections. How accurate are those? I'm skeptical of models because, of course, models will give you many scenarios, and one of them is correct or nearer to the truth than others. And so it's just a question of changing the variables, but. I don't know how many cases we're going to get and where the peak is going to be. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know how accurate they're going to be. But I hope that some a lockdown can be uh, ensured and activated countrywide to stem the spread of this virus. You must have currently seen the mad scramble for oxygen cylinders. I mean, how important is oxygen really for COVID patients? Well, it's life-saving because once you have moderate to severe COVID-19, you have not enough oxygen in your lungs, not enough oxygen in the blood, and that causes everything to work badly, your, your immune system, everything. So without oxygen supplementation, your chances of improvement are reduced, of course. Any piece of advice for the Indian policymakers? Well, the main thing is to learn from this lesson, what can happen when we don't think ahead and look around the world at what is going on and, and to plan properly for infectious disease threats in the future. Could we see a third wave as well? Uh, yes, I'm sure India is going to see a third wave, there's no doubt. Because vaccine coverage is poor, uh, there is problems with the health systems. There's a lot of overcrowding in places. The population is too big, too dense. There's a lot of poverty. These are all conditions which are favorable for this virus. On that note, Professor Gupta, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much.